Podcastle, episode 398, for January 12th, 2016. Flower of Flowers, Bird of Birds, by Alicia Cole. Rated PG. Salam, good people, and welcome to Podcastle. I'm Khalida Muhammad Ali, assistant editor and your host for this week. This week's story is a sweet mashup. It's a fairy tale, cultural mythos, and dream with a dash of perfection. Reading this felt like being on a tropical vacation for all its lush imagery. I advise this. While listening to this tale, if at all possible, close your eyes, put your feet up, and let yourself be transported. You'll practically hear the sounds of the forest, the scent of flowers, and the feel of the ocean mist against your face. You won't regret it. Podcastle is very proud to present Flower of Flowers, Birds of Birds, written by Alicia Cole, originally published in Demeter's Spice Box number three, and will be collected in the forthcoming Demeter's Spice Box anthology collection. Alicia Cole is a working artist in Atlanta, Georgia. She works for Studio Number no. 7 and Wonder Root and performs with the Atlanta Radio Theater Company. She's an editor, writer, and interviewer with work forthcoming in Torn Pages Anthology and Asimov's, among other publications. She's an active member of HWA and SFPA. Your reader today is Rajan Khanna. Rajan Khanna is a fiction writer, blogger, reviewer, and narrator. His first novel, Falling Sky, a post-apocalyptic adventure with airships, was released in October 2014 from Pyre. A sequel, Rising Tide, is scheduled for October 2015. His short fiction has appeared in Lightspeed Magazine, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Shimmer, and several anthologies. His articles and reviews have appeared at Tor.com and LitReactor.com, and his podcast narrations can be heard at Podcastle, Escape Pod, Pseudopod, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and Lightspeed Magazine. Now, take off your sandals and stick your feet in the sand while you listen to this story. Flower of Flowers, Bird of Birds, by Alicia Cole where the elang elang trees twist scented like slumber in the village of my grandmother's strange birds nest with long gray necks sinuous as river serpents they rattle their beaks at women washing in the estuary to steal such a bird's eggs it is said will curry the favor of malangu this lure and the sweetness of the fowl when roasted has led to a gradual decline of the race though once proud Surrounded by sharp-beaked sentinels, the kingbird has grown sorrowful and lazy with his people's deterioration and no longer snatches at thieves' eyes. In my grandmother's day, only a strong Galiguchi woman would harvest the eggs without fear. After many seasons of loss, even my mother could succeed at such a task. I love my mother as the perfume of our islands loves the sweet sea breeze, but she herself has told me, Her gifts are weak tea poured from a cracked teapot. The teapot, perhaps, which her mother's mother acquired abroad on a desert night, enamored of the stars and a traveler's curling beard. 
She traveled broadly, trading her charms along with minor enchantments, healing herbs. The salt merchant's son asked only for a kiss, and a curling pod of vanilla bean to match his beard. Or so I have been told. I hold the teapot in my hands each morning to pour our tea, trace the leaf my ancestress swore on for fertility, and cradle the brown clay. All things, the women of my line say, can be made from mud, even children. A simple spell, really, the spell of making. Take a lump of clay from the estuary, mix in a pinch of sand from a tidal pool, make use of cardamom pod and some ilang-ilang flour. Say the proper words. Do not say them inland, however. There are few in the Comoros who keep to the old traditions. My family is one of those remaining. Everything her mother taught her, my mother taught to me. That is the way of our family, as steady as the passing of the seasons. Mother to daughter, the knowledge is passed. Mother to daughter. And so to the story of how my mother made me. My mother, childless, could never learn the spell of making. Though my grandmother cupped her hands steady over the clay, coaxed the certain words from her lips, the spark of magic was dim. When her luck was right and the breeze true, my mother could make a mangrove leaf dance in the wind. She could make the shape of a cormorant with her hands. But a Galiguchi woman she was not. When the tide is low and the moon is at the horizon, my grandmother told her steadily, that is the time. The kingbird, so sad, will cover his head with his wing. He will ignore you traipsing in his kingdom, the moon rising like a giant egg over his shaded head. My mother, listening, fingered the crack in the old teapot. In the nest at the base of the ilang-ilang tree, you will find three eggs. Avoid the egg that is golden and the egg that is pure white. The small gray egg, the egg that looks sour and wants you to ignore it, that is the egg for growing. Grandmother stood amidst the drying herbs, a white scarf cinched neatly around her head. Bring that egg to me, daughter, and we will see what we will see. As my mother tells it, tiny silver fish were singing in the estuary on that night of nights. The rack of salt was thick among the mangroves, the tide a slow shush as it hushed in and out of the pools. No clouds marred the bright moon, rising heavy as an egg about to crack. On a mound of sand to the right of the ilang ilang tree, in the middle of the tide-dried plain, the kingbird sat and wept. My mother said his feathers were the bright of the tiny singing minnows. His dark cap of mourning lay tight against his head. His great wings rustled as he wept in long, piteous tones. As her mother had commanded, my mother ignored the kingbird. She walked, bare feet squelching in the tidal mud, to the roots of the ilang-ilang tree. As splendid as the salt that racked the air, the ilang-ilang cast its sweet, arborous perfume into the night. The little yellow flowers tickled my mother's nose, tossed pollen in her hair. Amid the tangled roots, at the nest of thatch, my mother knelt and gasped. Oh, Ayo, she later told me, I have never seen such beauty as that gold egg, never a sunrise so on fire, never a new bud so sharply lit. I wanted it more than my mother's cooking, more than a new skirt. But my mother, though lacking in charms, was no fool. When her hand hovered over the gold egg's apex, she felt worms writhe in her stomach and knew better. When her hand moved to the white egg, spotless and more splendid than the moon, her feet began to ache as though cracked.
When her hand paused over the gray egg, piteous as it was, the wind hissed sweetly, tossed elang elang blossoms on her cheek. Then, she would say, laying her hand to my smooth hair, my ears stung with joy, and I knew my mother was right. On the day of my birth, my grandmother opened a box, wondrously carved with all manner of flower and fruit, with children and animals traipsing through strange cities, this box contained my grandmother's most precious herbs. Opening the lid, she produced a vanilla bean, curled like a desert merchant's beard, grown from the plant her own mother had harvested. She brewed sweet syrup from this bean, and singing songs to stir the moon, she poured three drops on my egg. With a delicate shiver it cracked, and out I tumbled, a small gray bird. Cupping me in her hands gently, my grandmother prayed. The shells hanging in the doorway tinkled and chimed. The guinea hens in the yard scratched and pecked. The hinges of the wooden box creaked shut. When her prayer was finished, my grandmother wrapped me in a mangrove leaf and made tea. At the first pour, an infant's wail erupted through the house. My grandmother smiled knowingly. My mother wept and rushed to grab me. My hair, the gray of a waterfowl's feathers. My eyes, the black of night water. My beauty, like the rush of elang elang at the shore. And every part of me, male. In protest, my grandmother did not eat for a week. On the seventh day, as my mother tickled my smooth cheek, grandmother petulantly ate rice. I have named him Ayo, my mother announced decidedly as she played with my toes. There would be more joy in me if he were a she, grandmother declared, spitting out an uncooked grain. Malangu gave me a son. Who am I to question? Raising herself with a sigh, grandmother answered, If Malangu, blessed be his name, had given you anything, it would have been a girl. This boy is a joke played on an untrained woman. I should have gone myself. At her words, my mother's breath caught, little toes wriggling between her fingers. Even joy could not contain her tears. Laying a hand to her head, my grandmother sighed again. No matter, he will be a galiguchi. I will see to that. My mother tells another story of her grandmother, years after she traded vanilla and a kiss for our teapot. In this story, my great-grandmother stands weeping at the ocean, her back bent with age, her long gray hair scented with vanilla. Why was she weeping, I always asked. She was old, was my mother's answer with a shrug. Her daughter no longer needed her teaching, and the birds were dying. My grandmother always said we would eat this island up with our greed. My mother pounded cassava as she spoke. Only when all the beauty was gone would we understand what we had done. Then, even all the work of every galiguchi, all the prayers of every imam will do nothing. We will stand on sun-kissed sands drenched with the tang of plow animal and salt, the mangrove gone, the eyes seen clear through to the mountains. My grandmother, facing the ocean, declared, They will wail for the lack of perfume. I will wail for the lack of life. But I will be dead, so no matter. Bury me under the elang elang tree so that I may help something new grow. My mother finished pounding, wiped her brow with a rag. She looked at me, still only a child the first time she told me this story, and smiled. And that, Ayo, is exactly what we did. Mulungu, I have learned, has little to do with the training of a Gali Gucci woman, or man. 
From my youngest days, the moon was my second mother, the wax and wane of the tides, the rhythm of my breath. The crabs that scuttled through the sand scrawled messages with their claws. The great gray estuary birds did not rattle their beaks at me. They silently watched me, left feathers for my eager hands. Bind your hair just so, mother told me, pulling my gray hair back, my grandmother always watching. Put the feather in the plate and your eyes will see far. Tie it to your breeches and your legs will not sink in the mud. My gray hair grew long and straight. As my family's custom dictated, I never cut a strand. At market, the fishermen's wives watched me closely, their daughters' mouths delighted shapes of pleasure at the intricate buns I sported like the caps of birds. No boy could match me at swimming or at running. No girl could make a sweeter whistle from a bamboo reed. Though I was much loved, or at least much coveted for my grace, I grew alone, without sibling or equal. The strange gray birds flew low over the house each evening, and I watched them, silent as their long beaks sang songs to the night. At thirteen, when I became a man, my grandmother gave me a present. The package was small and wrapped in a mangrove leaf. This present is for you and not for you, my grandmother advised, sitting down to peel avocado. When I was a child, my mother took me to the city to trade dried fish and spices for our needs. She was a very good trader, with a keen eye and tongue. This was not new information about my great-grandmother. I turned the package over in my hands, examining the leaf for any tears, trying to see inside. My grandmother cleared her throat, and I grew still. On this day of days, my mother did something very odd indeed. She had only bartered for a fraction of our needs when a very dark, very bent old man approached us. He wore no beard or mustache, only a cap on his shaved head. Assalamu alaikum, the man spoke, his voice as sweet and bewitching as the Yilang Yilang blossoms, despite his age. Mother, I have something that might interest you. My mother smiled politely, but gripped my hand tightly. My mother was always careful with religious men. From within his simple robe, the man produced a garment the likes of which I'd never seen. It was red and gold, so thin I could see the dark of his hand behind the silk. It sparked like flaming tongues, like flowers speaking in the night. My mother eyed the old man, licked her lips. That is a fine garment, sir, she said, surely beyond my reach. I have only pepper left, and this vanilla bean. At this my mother produced from our baskets a delicately curled vanilla bean, lovely as the back of a young girl's neck. The old man breathed a rumbling sigh, answered in his musical voice, It is a fair trade indeed. I have heard of such vanilla. And here he paused and said nothing further. The trade was conducted in silence. We immediately left the market and walked home. My palms sweated around the mangrove leaf. My grandmother took down a jug of rice, measured what was needed for our supper. I was never allowed to wear this garment. My mother said it was charmed. She made me swear to one day pass it down to a true Galiguchi woman. Since I have none to pass to, at least none that I would call woman. And here she smiled, a smile that cracked my heart with joy. I give this beauty to you. One day you will give it to your wife. My hands trembled as I unwrapped the leaf and let it fall. The silk within reminded me of fire licking at rice pots, of sunlight flashing on the ocean, of the tender insides of Elang Elang blossoms. Later, as my grandmother and mother slept, I wrapped the cloth around my bare chest 
and bit my cheek to keep from crying out with joy. My mother, one eye open to the cool night, watched. I sometimes dreamt of my great-grandmother sitting on the roots of the elang-elang tree, her lap overflowing with vanilla bean. In my dreams I would walk to the elang-elang tree, bare feet squelching in the mud, and lay my head in her lap. My great-grandmother would smile at me and break open a pod, revealing a small gray seed. In my dreams, an estuary bird would raise his great wings, and I would awaken, my heart rustling like elang-elang blossoms tossed by the wind. On my seventeenth birthday, knowing my loneliness, my grandmother told me, It would please me, Io, to see you happy. Of any woman in this world, is there one you could call your wife? I watched my grandmother carefully and shrugged. My mother drew one hand across the wooden box's lid and did not speak. My grandmother narrowed her eyes at each of us in turn and frowned. Fine, I will take care of it. That night my grandmother spoke to the moon. My grandson is the finest youth alive. See his speed and cunning. Even though a man, he is the finest Galiguchi since my grandmother. Her grandmother, it is said, was so strong that the birds of the air bowed to her. The beasts of the earth crawled trembling into her hands. The fish of the sea leapt gracefully on her plate, praying to be eaten. The moon peered from behind a wisp of cloud and asked, But does your Io desire me? When my grandmother woke me from my slumber, I frowned. Though beautiful, she is altogether too cold and full of holes. Is there no other mate for me? My grandmother told the moon, My grandson must have the finest wife in creation. Who is stronger than you? With a cool sigh, the moon answered, This cloud that covers my nakedness also hides my light. She is stronger than I. Awoken again, I sighed. But the cloud is altogether too moist. Who else? So my grandmother asked the cloud, Who is stronger than you? And the cloud replied, The ocean breeze who hurries me along is a heady mistress. Perhaps she will suit your grandson. I covered my face with my hand, certain I would not sleep that night, and retorted, Too dry by far. Is there no other? Then my grandmother, growing weary, asked the wind, is there any woman you bow to as potent as you are? The elang elang tree, the wind replied. For though I rage and rage, she bends and shakes her flowers to the earth, and in the morning stands tall again. I uncovered one eye at my grandmother's words, peered up from my mat at her shadowed frame. A most worthy bride, this perfumed tree, but her fragrance makes me sneeze. There will be no mate for me and covering my eyes, I fell asleep again despite my loneliness. My grandmother sat down in our doorframe with a huff. When it was certain she would ask no longer, my mother stood and walked, barefoot and squelching in the estuary mud, to the elang-elang tree. I am sorry he will not take you, my mother told the elang-elang tree as its blossoms stroked her cheek. Is there any more worthy than you? The throaty rush of elang-elang stained the night as the tree replied. The birds which nest at my roots make their home despite my protests. They steal my flowers for their beds. They roost among my branches. They far outmatch me. At these words, a great gray head snaked from behind the elang-elang tree. On long, marvelous legs, the king bird emerged and bowed to my mother. Despite her shock, her heart beating in her chest like a darting fish, my mother returned his bow. She forgot to tell him he was no woman.
I awoke to the sounds of my mother and grandmother arguing. Io must marry and bear us a daughter, my grandmother raged, each word a hard grain of rice in her mouth. A strange rattle replied, as if two long shells clacked together. Something rustled in the house, more feather than flesh, and I opened my eyes and rose from my sleeping mat, uncertain. My mother stood apart from my grandmother, her arms crossed at her chest. Her eyes flashed with a fire I had never seen, the fire of strange, magnificent flowers. Io will have his choice, no other, came her sharp reply. The king bird rustled his wings again, his great capped head held still, his night-water eyes watching me. But there will be no more daughters, my grandmother moaned, her strong shoulders sinking. My mother moved towards my grandmother, laid a hand on her head and replied, Perhaps the time of daughters is done. Then the kingbird spoke, his voice as sweet as the elang-elang blossom, saying, No. He bent his head and hunched his shoulders in a shuffling bow, looking suddenly very old. When he stood, beauty flared back to him, and he said, Perhaps the time of daughters is not yet done, little sister. I have need of a great Galiguchi woman if my people are to survive. Or a man. And his beak clattered with scented laughter. What say you, Io? My limbs hungered for cool, broad air. My legs ached to walk without sinking across the estuary plain. My mouth watered for sweet fish. I thought of our island empty, and my heart ached like a broken shell. I thought of our island full, and my heart swelled like a cresting wave. I walked to the king bird, touched his great gray neck reverently, his feathers as soft as the rarest silk. Mother, I whispered, he pleases me. As was her duty, my mother replied, her eyes lit like the sun. Then he is yours. You will teach my people the ways of the Galiguchi, the kingbird replied as my gray hair lengthened, the roots turning into calamus. You will nest with me in the roots of the elang-elang tree, he spoke as my barbs strengthened, legs thinning to stalks and arms flaring wide. We will row through the stars at night, say hello to the moon and the cloud and the wind who you have spurned in my favor, and by day smell the elang-elang's blossoms. I hope they do not make you sneeze. The kingbird laughed again, and I echoed him, my beak clattering with joy. Our feathers the color of waterfowl, our eyes the black of night water, our beauty like the rush of elang-elang at the shore, and every part of us male. As my mother and grandmother watched, the kingbird and I walked through the estuary mud, our toes barely sinking. When we took flight on that morning of mornings, our wings beat together. I saw my mother often after that day, though we rarely spoke. She swept the yard singing, or stood in the doorway wearing a fine silk skirt. As I trained the great gray bird's chicks, showing them how to make elang-elang blossoms dance on the wind, my mother flashed like fire. My grandmother, sucking rice through her teeth, was pleased. And welcome back. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel like I need to shake the sand out of my shoes. Can you smell those ilang ilang flowers? Taste that vanilla? Feel the ocean breeze rustle the tiny hairs on your arms and the back of your neck? I can. I'm always amazed when I read a story like this. 
It's short, but jam-packed with mystery and lore and messages of love and acceptance and struggle. So much in such a small piece. It's just amazing. Well, that's enough of my gushing. Let's hear some episode feedback. Feedback this week is for Podcastle episode number 388, The One They Took Before, by Elise Krojek. Comments for this episode were Trey Intellectual. It seems like Fenrix got a hit of the good old feels on this one. He had this to say. The aching loss in this one is so cold it burns. The addiction and self-harm metaphor is omnipresent, but subtle. I love how this is a modern intrusion of the fae on our world, and how all of their acts can be explained away with mental illness. No one saw anything but her. And all her experiences can be explained away with abnormal biochemical interactions in her head which could loop back to burning holes in her brain through addictive substances. I think there's also another meta layer about fantasy and reading that can be unpacked here, but I'll try to noodle that out next time I listen to this one. Felonious Monk added, I think this one would have been right at home on Pseudopod. Not that it wasn't great here. I love the feel of obsession and the internal feedback loop it creates, coupled with desperately trying to fight it. Electric Paladin had this to say, Goddamn fairies. The only thing this story was missing was a cold iron bar. Fairies are one of those tropes that I love to hate. They're so awful. I only wish this smarmy monster had gotten its just desserts. But that wasn't the kind of story this was. What it was, though, was sad and creepy and beautiful. Thank you for those comments. Let us know what you think of our stories by stopping by the Escape Artists Forum at forum.escapeartists.net. We would love to hear your thoughts. Stop on by and let us know what you thought of today's story. While you're there, consider making a donation. Every single cent goes toward paying our authors so we can keep bringing you the best fantasy fiction week after week. And if you can't donate, consider blogging or tweeting about us and spreading the word. That's our show for this week. On behalf of everyone at PodCastle, our slushers Arunjiwa, Sarah Goldman, Jennifer Albert, and Melissa Hofflich, our audio engineer Peter Wood, our forum moderators, Talia and Asakat, our assistant editor, myself, and editors Graham Dunlop and Rachel K. Jones, thanks for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with another story. Until then, this is Khalida Muhammad Ali reminding you in the wise words of Alice Walker, no person is your friend who demands your silence or denies your right to grow. Peace.